Okay, good morning again. We are right in the middle of this series on grace. And last week we began talking about how it is that context makes uh, or defines how rules sort of get carried out. And we use the analogy of what it looks like to join a gym. And when you become a member of that community, there are a set of rules that you have to follow if you're going to be part of that. We use the analogy of an HOA when you move into a neighborhood. Uh, becoming part of a community of people who have a, a list of rules that you are to live by. Well, this, this week we're going to take it one step further. We're going to use a different analogy. But before we do, I want to go back to the main point that's sort of running through this, the length of this entire series. And that is this, that the church is it's most appealing when the grace of God is most apparent. So the church, you and me, the people that make up this faith community, not the building or the parking lot or this facility or anything, but you and me, the people who make up this place, are most appealing to, to, to people around us, to people who have yet to know God, when grace is the most apparent in our lives. And so we've been talking about through this series, how, how do we see that lived out? And how do we experience it first? And then how do we, as we experience it, and as we understand it at deeper levels within our own lives, how do we then extend that to other people? How do we then allow that to to, to be extended through our lives in the way we relate to other people. So that's sort of where we're going. We're taking a long look at this. So this is like week three or four, and we still have a, a ways to go, but we're, we're turning a corner. We're going to make the transition toward what it is that grace can do in our lives and how it can flow out of our lives. So we're going to take one step closer to that. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter three today. And Romans is an important book because it's, this is where Paul pretty much lays out an entire theology of kind of what's going on. He sort of lays it out and he says, here's what's happening in our midst, and here's how we're to understand sort of the law or the Old Testament or all the rules that we've been given, and how we can now understand it through the new life that Jesus Christ brings in his teaching and in his relationship with us. And, I, and, and so Paul's going to do something incredibly important here that I don't want us to miss, and so I, the best way to help us understand that is, again, to go back to analogy. So let me use an analogy to then jump into a text that is really pretty thick to understand, and we'll wade through it together, based upon what is going on with the, the Old Testament and the law and the Jewish heritage and religious practices that they had. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene, and he's doing things different, and it, it looks as if he's not upholding the law, and people are getting upset and angry, and he's disrupting an entire religious system. And so here you and I sit, part of the disruption of that system, and we only understand it as being normalized. Like, we, that's all we understand it as, but at one time this was incredibly radical. And when we miss, we miss how radical it really was, we miss the depth of the grace that God would have for us in the midst of this conversation, because we, we're so used to it that we miss, just like, just like when we talked with Ron today, we're so used to the stability of our country that it's, it's hard to even wrap our minds around there are other places in this world where, that just, where a coup can just happen like overnight. Like we can't even imagine that in this country. The same is true for, for this understanding of faith and grace. And so I really want us to sort of be able to, to experience this at deeper levels by doing this. So let's talk about analogy. So we've talked about what it means to become part of like a, a club or, or um, a health gym or even an HOA. But what does it look like to be part of a family? Because in my house, we have certain rules. Now, they're not posted on the wall when you walk in. They're just known. They're known. You ask my children what the rules are, and they'll tell you. So when you come over to my house, there are a bunch of 
rules that are not posted, and one of them is going to be kind of weird maybe for you. So I'm just going to tell you what one of my rules are, and um, even Holly has to follow this, and she hates it, she, and she doesn't follow it, actually, at all. So, like, bad example for the kids, right? But, but the kids know that one of my rules, good thing I'm not home all day, one of my rules is that when you leave a room, you turn off the lights. Now, how many of you kind of have that rule in your house? When you leave the room, you turn... See, exactly. I, it's not completely weird. <laughs> I'm not triangling at all. Not at all. I'm not uh, trying to, to bring weight to this situation. But, but a lot of you have this rule. You leave a room, you turn off the lights or the fan or whatever's going on in that room. And this is just an unspoken room in our house, and my kids know this. They know this. So Micah, every morning, he leaves his room, he's got his light on, he's got his fan going, I can hear it, and I look at him and I say, Micah, yeah, my light's on, my fan's on, I'll go turn it off. He knows exactly what it means when I look at him that he has to turn those things off. And so, and it's constant, like they constantly do it. And it's really frustrating up here because they charge you like $100 a minute, it seems, to run anything in your house because PG&E is taking all these trees down. They figure they got to charge somebody for it, so they're going to charge us for it. And my electric bill just during the summer months is like $300 a month. Yeah, it, see, exactly, because they leave the lights on. And so during the winter months, during... <laughs> I'm working on my family issues publicly. This is great. So during the winter months, I am, I am, I've seen the electric bill be close to $500 in the month. I know, I know, I know. And so when, so when, when, when I see a light on, I'm thinking, okay, that meter's spinning, right? I, I might as well just be taking dollars out of my pocket. So this is a rule in my house that when you leave a room, let's not miss the analogy here, because um, we're certainly not going to solve my family problems <laughs> publicly. Um, the, the electric bill is an issue, right? And so I even got the kids around where I, when I was paying bills one day, I pulled the bill out and I said, how much do you think the electric bill is? Like, I just want to ask you, what do you think it is per month? And Haley goes, and she's 12, right? Haley's 12, so I figure she's got to be on the ball and have some idea, like a good guess of what expense. I said, it's very expensive. What would you guess it would be? And she said, I don't know, Daddy. Like, it's probably $1,200 a month. <laughs> thinking to myself, oh my goodness woman, I pray for the man you marry one day. $1,200 a month. So now I know like when I show her the bill, it's going to have no weight at all. When I say $300 and she thinks it's $1,200, she's going to say, oh, whew, what a relief. Like you should be happy, dad, right? So that wasn't going to work. Um, the point is, why do my kids have that rule? Now here's the thing, like in your house, that might not be a rule. And your kids maybe will leave, or grandkids maybe will leave lights on everywhere they go. Because they're in your house. They're not in my house. So the rule is applicable to people who are part of my family. Now here's the question. Did they become part of my family because of the rule? Or were they part of my family and then there was a rule? In the way in which life was to be lived. Now, on a more serious note, we're having fun with the electricity one. Because that's really not a moral issue. Although it's becoming one. A moral issue would be that lying is not allowed in my house. So, so my children know that if there's a lie there's going, and it's caught, right? there's going to be a serious punishment because we value honesty for, for our kids. We want them to be honest people. 
So they know that that is a rule within our house. And so I'll just ask you the question one more time because that one's a little heavier. Do they have a relationship with me because I made a rule? Or is there a rule because there was first a relationship with me? See, and part of the problem with this, part of the problem with understanding our relationship with God is that we take it out of the context of family and we try to understand it as religion. It's not. It's family. You first have a relationship with God before you ever have a rule. And the problem is, is we think we've entered through the rules first. And that's what became the problem for Israel as they began to think that what made right relationship with God, what defined a relationship with God, was the rules they followed. And what Jesus came to say is, no, your heavenly Father loves you and you are a child of God first. No matter what you do or don't do. And then, I desire to bring to your life some principles of life, some ways of living that actually protect that life that help you to thrive within that life. I mean, why do I want my, my kids to not lie? Because that's the way life is going to be best lived for their employer when they get older. I mean, nobody wants to hire dishonest employees. Their life is going to be best protected as they go forward by following those rules. One day they will have an electric bill, and guess what they'll be doing? Telling their kids to turn the electricity off and showing them the monthly bill. They'll be in the same place. And so what I'm trying to do as a, as a father is to lovingly take my children to the best place possible, not because I want to give them a rule, but because they have relationship with me. They're my children. And the same works for God. And this is what was getting so misunderstood in the first century. And I think you and I sometimes can misunderstand this too. That our relationship with God is first. We are children of God first. And then he says, here's how I would so desire you to live life within my household because you'll thrive in this. You'll be protected in this. So Paul comes with all kinds of theological kind of leanings and, and ideas within Romans chapter 3, but you're going to best understand it through that analogy because that's how it works with our Heavenly Father. And so he teaches us out of Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 21, he says, now apart from the rules, apart from the household rules, whenever you say the word law, think about that, the household rules, the way life works within life with your Heavenly Father. Now apart from the rules that govern the, the, the household, the righteousness of God has been made known. Now let's just stop and kind of expand this analogy some more. So when, when I tell you that about my children, and I tell you that about the rules for my house, do you know anything about my character at that point? You know some things. You know that I care about my children enough that I would make some rules because uh, that teaches them and governs them to a place of mature adulthood. You know, no good father would just let their children raise themselves with no guidance. That would be horrible. So, so you know something about my character, but, but you don't know anything about my mercy or grace in that. You know that, that I care and I'm loving because I've put together a set of rules, but you don't know how I'm going to interact or how I'm going to react when those rules are broken. And so what Paul's talking about here is he's saying, now apart from those rules, how God acts when they're broken has been made known. So when he says righteousness, that's what he's talking about. You don't know anything about my righteousness until I tell you what it is I do when my children have broken one of my rules. And so we talked a few weeks ago about the difference between mercy and grace because Christians get these all mixed up. Mercy is that when one of my kids break one of my rules, I continue to let them live there. That's mercy. Grace is 
not only do I let them continue to live there, I continue to be in right relationship with them and love them and be close to them and do not withdraw my emotional presence and my spiritual presence and my physical presence from them. That's grace. Mercy is, I don't kick you out of the house, so you're forgiven. Grace is, I'm going to continue in the relationship even though it was broken. So when we talk about grace in this series, that is what we're talking about. That you are still a child of God, even in the midst of the brokenness that you choose, even in the paths that you choose, where you break the rules, God continues in relationship with you, not just by forgiving you and not kicking you out of the house, but also by keeping His presence and His Spirit next to you in your life. He gives you something you actually don't deserve, which is His continued relationship with you, which is what Paul refers to as the righteousness of God. So, let's continue with this and unpack it a little bit. Now, apart from the rules, thank you, apart from the rules, God's character has been made known in the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to continue here to unpack it. To which, and he says this, so the character of God, the righteousness of God, how God acts when the rules are broken, was not only made known, but, he says, the law, meaning that Old Testament, the rules now, the important, it's capitalized because like it's the important rules, it's the, the holy rules for the Jewish faith, and the prophets, the people who came along and said, hey, you're all not following the rules, right? So when I go up to my kids and I say, the light is on in your room, and if you don't turn it off, you're going to be in big trouble. What am I doing? I'm prophesying, right? <laughs> I'm a prophet. I am. I not only get to write the law, I get to preach about it. Isn't it cool? So I say to my kids, you left the lights on. If you don't do something about it, you're going to be in big, 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 big trouble. I am prophesying. And I'm telling the future, aren't I? That's what prophets did. And so we have within our own household and the family of God, as followers of Jesus, we have the rules and we have the prophets, the people who tell us, you know, if you continue this path, it's not going to be good. And here's what he says. So Paul says, to which the law... And the prophets testify. So, the character of God, who God is when the rules are broken, was made known apart from the rules. But those rules and the people that talk about them actually point toward that character of God. Now, does that make sense? That's a lot in one sentence, but I hope that helps you in the analogy. One more time. Apart from the rules, the character of God is revealed. Apart from those rules. But those rules and the people that talk about them actually speak to it. It speaks to it. So Paul's making this argument that the law wasn't just something that you followed and it made you right with God. The law was actually entirely the whole time pointing to the character and relationship with God that you had apart from the law. And the problem is, is when you oversimplify it, it's about following the rules then. And religion and faith has nothing to do with that, Paul's arguing. Has everything to do with the relationship you have with your Heavenly Father first. And those rules point to that, just like they do in my house. So continuing in verse 22 then, it says that the righteousness, right, that character of God, is given where? Through the rule following? No, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And so here's what Paul is arguing. 
He's saying you become a child of God not the moment you are circumcised, not the moment you follow the Ten Commandments, not the moment you obey the rules of the household. You were a child of God the moment He put breath in your lungs. And here's the amazing, incredible part about this, and this is where it can free the church up totally. You sitting in this room are not the only children of God by that definition. And when you go out and you see your family members and your friends who have yet to believe and come to faith, and you go around this community and you see your neighbors and you see your coworkers, people you recreate with, people that you see in the transaction of business, all of the people who have yet to come to believe by that definition are children of God. They just don't know it yet. They don't know that they've been invited to live in this house that you and I live in. So why do we treat other people as if they aren't invited to live? So this character is given in faith, Paul says. When we put our faith in our Heavenly Father, just like my children put their faith in me, that when they do leave their light on and they do leave their room, I will not withdraw my presence from them. It's the same thing. And so here's the point in this, is that we all enter the same way. We all enter the same way. See, the Jewish people believed that they entered because God chose them, and there was this covenant, and they had to follow certain things, and then God made them special, and they were supposed to do all these things, and then God would accept them and love them. And it's, it's just not the case, Paul's saying. He's saying we all enter the same way. We are born into the family of God. We are God's children when he creates us. And it is through that relationship he desires to bring about a relationship with us that is reconciled. It's reconciled. See, we're all children of God. We're just not reconciled with our Father. Now, you and I might be, most of us in this room, some of us in this room still have yet to be. But the point is that we're all still children. We're just some aren't reconciled and some are. We all enter the same way, Paul says. Not through a list of conditions, but because we're born into that family. Continuing then, Paul makes the argument that there is no difference no matter what your religious background. Okay? So for them in the first century, it was a heritage between Jewishness and Gentiles. So it was Jewish people and essentially everyone else. And he says this, there's no difference between the two. None. The Jews were not more chosen than the Gentiles. For all, he says, all, and there's that all statement again, all have sinned. All have left the lights on in the room. Circumcised or not circumcised. Dietary laws or no dietary laws. Temple worship or pagan worship. We've all left the lights on in the room. Paul levels the ground in which all of humanity finds itself in relationship to God. Whether Jewish or other. We've all sinned. We've all left the light on and fall short of what God would have for us. We've all needed to go back to the room and turn the light off and wake up the next day and we left it on again. We've all done that. And then he says this, and, continuing, all, and he uses that word again, and notice he doesn't use it sort of carelessly. All means how many? All. That means you, me, and all the people out there. And all come into right relationship with God or are justified. That's what that means, to be made right. All are justified freely by His grace. 
Not performance, not making sure we get it right next time, (laughs) not because we did certain things, but by grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And so here's where the analogy falls a little short, but it's like this. It's like this. There are times when my children have left the light on and I go turn it off for them. They've left it on. And it's not that I don't have the energy to say go turn it off because it would take less energy to do that than it would be to walk over there and do it. But there are times where I just do it. And it's what God did for us in the person of Jesus Christ because here's the truth of this. You and I have left the light on so many times we actually can't undo the brokenness that took place in the relationship with God. He had to get up and do it. And it is through that grace that not only would He get up and do it in His mercy and not kick us out of the house, but that He would continue to be our Heavenly Father even in the midst of it. And not break himself from us. And it's through Jesus Christ that he accomplished this. Continuing. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. So Jesus got up, he sacrificed. Now I know this this is kind of where the analogy breaks down a little bit. And it's not as like heavy, but just stay with me. Jesus got up, he's the one that sacrificed. And he went to the room and he turned the light off. He did what we couldn't do. So God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. That we trust that God has made it right for us. Continuing, He did this, why? To punish us? To get us out of it? No, he did this to demonstrate that character that the law and the people talking about it were pointing to the entire time. He did it to demonstrate how amazing he really is as our Heavenly Father. Because in his forbearance, in his withholding of punishment, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Wow. I'm not even that good of a father. Continuing. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This entire time Paul is arguing to the Jewish people This entire time, God has been working for our benefit. Since the beginning of the end, when the fall happened and we chose some different path than the one with God, from that moment, He was leaving sin unpunished to bring about a resolution that would cost Him everything so that we might be made right in everything. 
And so Paul says it has nothing to do with the law or the rules. It has to do with that kind of heart that loves you. It has nothing to do with the rules. The rules just pointed to that all along. Continuing then, because of what law, he says? Because of what rules? The rules that require you to do them? That Those rules? No. No. Because of the rules that require relationship. Because of the rules that require faith. And so he's not saying we take the law and we throw it out. He says, no, let's properly understand its role in our relationship with God. Because here's the point, continuing. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, he says, apart from the works of the law. That a person is made right in relationship. That my kids are made right in relationship, not because they did or did not turn off the light, which was the rule. But they are in relationship with me because they're my children. That's it. They were born into my house. That's what justifies them, that they continue to put their faith in me. And then I tell them, go turn off the light. That this is what it looks like when you put your faith in me, go turn off the light. The rule doesn't disappear. It's the relationship that defines the rule. And so, they're not, justified. They're not put in right relationship with me because of the law. I'm going to love them whether they turn the light off or not. They're still my kids. Whether I keep them in the house and allow them to live there or not is not dependent on whether they leave the light on or not. Now, you're getting close. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no way. Continuing then. Or is God the God of Jews only, he says? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? See, now he's going to relationship. Is it, aren't these still children of God? No matter their race or practice of worship? When we look around, when we as the children of God look around, aren't these people God's creation too? Don't they matter to God? Yes, he says, of Gentiles too. And here's the point that Paul is trying to make. Relationship precedes rules. The, the relationship comes well before rules come. That my daughters and my son were born and I held them at the hospital and I was in relationship before they ever had a rule put in their life. It always precedes rules. And the problem with the church is that we look out and we see the moral decay and the things going on in the world and we're like, why don't they just do what's right? And we sort of judge and we start kind of getting this, this high and mighty sort of attitude toward people. And the, the point is, is that they don't have a relationship with God yet. I don't expect... It. The people that I'm in relationship with who, who have yet to become friends, or excuse me, they're already friends, to become believers and followers of Jesus, I have no, zero expectation they're going to follow any rule that I believe. I, I have none. Because I know they don't have a relationship yet with their Heavenly Father. And once they do, then maybe they might follow some things. But at this point, they have none. Oh, your, friend, your family members and your friends that have yet to believe, but why does it trouble you so? I mean, it troubles you because you see the pain and the heartache their choices are bringing in their lives, for sure. But why does it threaten your faith? Why does it threaten your morals? It shouldn't threaten you at all. You ought to just say, well, yeah, that's what happens when there isn't a relationship. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. 
Relationships always precede rules. And then here's another thought that I want to give to you is that rules always assume a relationship. They always assume a relationship. And this is where we're going to begin to turn the corner and we're going to talk about then why is it that our Heavenly Father does expect certain things from us as followers of Jesus if we're all just forgiven and we don't have to worry about the lights being on. We're going to turn that corner we're going to start to understand what, how the role of grace plays in that as we move forward. But rules always assume a relationship. They always assume a relationship. Your children come to visit my house. I'm not going to yell at them because they left the lights on in the room. I don't have a relationship with them other than I'm you know, the dad of the friends. But I'm not going to go into your house and start telling your kids or your grandkids, hey, listen, flip off the lights. Like if you have me over for dinner, I won't do that. I promise. I won't. Because I, I understand that the rules always assume a relationship. I don't have a relationship in that house. So he wraps up here by saying this. He says, since there is only one God then who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. So he uses the, the, um, the work or practice of circumcision as the idea or kind of a rule following thing. He says, whether they're following the rules or they're not following the rules, they're justified by faith. That's it. And then he moves on and he kind of wraps up here by saying this. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? And what he's saying is, so if you don't, you know, go get circumcised, then, then are we somehow like not following the rules? Do we nullify the rules by this faith? And then he exclaims, no, not at all. Uh-uh, that's not what's going on. He says, rather, we're actually upholding the law. Because the law is a law of faith, law of relationship. And so he's arguing that we actually are upholding it through grace. We're not ripping it down, we're not making excuses. That's sort of where you kind of leaves us. And I want to leave you with this final point before we pick up next week. And that is the law or the rules were really confirmation of relationship, not a condition of it. See, see when I tell my kids, you got to turn off the lights, that's con confirmation that they're my kids because your kids don't have to. I don't tell your kids to do anything or your grandkids. So the rules that I give my children are actually confirmation that they're my children. But they're not a condition to be my children. Meaning if they follow it or they don't follow it, they're now no longer my children. And it's the same with the rules that came through the Jewish faith. They're a confirmation that we are in right relationship with God. But that doesn't mean that they are a condition of it. That we have to do it to be in right relationship with God. That comes through faith. And Paul reaches all the way back, as you saw in the weeks behind us, and he goes to Genesis chapter 12 and he talks about Abraham and the faith that Abraham showed before there even was a law. 